today on CityCast Salt Lake. Cuffing season is on the horizon, folks. It's the time of year when singles turn to their summer fling and boldly ask, do you want to be my cuddle buddy during the winter? But in the wise words of Olivia Rodrigo, it is brutal out here. And the introduction of dating apps has only made things more complicated. So as we usher in a new season of swiping, ghosting, and letting your friends stalk a person you haven't met yet, I'm talking to gender and sexuality researcher Lisa Diamond about how to combat dating app burnout. But first, here's what two college students have to say about it all. It's Monday, September 19th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. I'm Alex Lopez. I am 20 years old. I am on the dating apps right now. I am kind of just going around not particularly like going trying to like with any agenda, but I'm just swiping around. I'm on Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, and Grinder. I'd say, yeah, those four <laughs> are in a secret little folder on my phone. <laughs> Being on the apps is kind of like a really weird experience because I mean, all you're judging is a person's physical appearance and like a few like really basic prompts. I think the most frustrating thing is as a gay man, I feel like it isn't as easy to meet people organically that are also queer. And, you know, you kind of have to use dating apps as like your primary medium to date. And it can be frustrating, especially when like, you see all these people and you're like, wow, I want what you have, or you're someone I would want to be around frequently. That like longingness and like almost like frustration of like, damn, I don't have this, but I really don't want to put the effort in through the internet. Erin Connolly, I'm 22. This is my junior year. I've been in a serious relationship for a little over a year now, so I haven't been on a dating app in a little over a year now but I was before for like many, many years. And yes, I definitely experienced dating app burnout really bad. I think for me, the most frustrating thing was finding the partner that I really wanted. For a while, I wasn't sure exactly what my sexuality was. I, I wasn't sure what my interest in men was. And so lots of times I would spend like solely looking at women on dating apps and then not finding any romantic prospects, just people that I weren't interested in or lots of people that were like, I'm here to make friends. And I was like, well, I'm here to not. So um, I would switch to men and then I would be super overwhelmed by like the amount of men that would want to date me. And I kept not wanting to date any of them, but I felt like those are the only people that I could get interest from. So yeah, I felt like a lot of burnout from feeling like I had to include men in my options and not really wanting to, and then not being satisfied with any of the results. All right then, here's my conversation with gender and sexuality researcher, Lisa Diamond. Lisa Diamond, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. It's a pleasure to be here. Are you on the apps? Have you ever been on a dating app? Never. Never. Thank goodness. I was born in 1971. I have never been on a dating app. I've been with the same woman for 28 years. And every once in a while, we clutch one another and we say, thank God 
He escaped <laughs> this yeah. maelstrom of, 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 of craziness. Yeah. I feel like no matter how you spin it, there is an anxiety to dating that's omnipresent, <laughs> whether it's online or off. I have an 18-year-old niece and a 21-year-old nephew, and they have been on the apps. And so I observe them from afar and I say, wow, I feel so bad for you guys. Yeah. I I downloaded an app a couple of years ago for like 10 minutes and got really overwhelmed and deleted it. Um, and it just wasn't a good fit for me. But I have a lot of friends that have had a range of experiences with them. But what I do know right now is that dating right now is brutal. And we're hitting like the 10-year anniversary since the app sort of came out. What was it like before? Tell us tell us the tale of the before times. Well, part of the before times was that it used to be sort of embarrassing. You would mm. place an ad in a newspaper and, you know, in the, and I'm a lesbian. In the gay community, this was a pretty common thing as well because it was harder to find people. And so mm -hmm. personal ads were a thing, but everyone who used those ads felt a little bit embarrassed about it, like, oh, I, I... And now it is just totally normative. Now there's no shame at all. And I think that is, you know, one really good thing of all of this is mm -hmm. that no one feels like there's something wrong with them if they have to do some extra work to find what mm -hmm. they're looking for, it's work for everybody. It's hard. And yeah. technology makes it a little bit easier, but like a lot of things with technology, it makes some things easier and then it adds on a whole bunch of unanticipated extra consequences. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like one of the big differences between like the introduction of, you know, the pre-app era and now is just like, the specificity of what you're looking for or what you want, right? Like if you're placing an ad and you have to fill a little box and you only have so many words, you're kind of specific about what it is you want. Whereas now the apps, there's they're kind of vague. Like you can be on there and be looking for very different things. Well, the other problem is that one of the things we know from research is that people don't end up using their preferences as a guide to who they actually end up with. So there's hmm. all this, you know, attempt to identify what you want and state what you want. And you know what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't so actually predict who we end up with. So we spend <sighs> all this time. I see people writing these complicated profiles and then they answer all these questions. Yeah. And that maybe helps you sort through the maze of information, but mm. people's preferences are not actually good predictors of who they end up with. That's really interesting. So is that an indictment of like how effective the apps are or just how we use them? I think it is just a side effect of the human brain. And, and the fact that for most individuals, mm. the process of meeting and becoming attracted to someone and connecting with them, there is a lot of sort of stochastic, unpredictable noise in that process that as much as we try to systematize it by saying, well, I know that I'm interested in this age range and I know that I'm interested in this and I, I certainly know that I could never tolerate that, mm -hmm. you know, those are, those are useful guides, but yeah. they, they reduce the pool of potential partners, but they don't mm. necessarily help you find the right partner. And I think one aspect of this is that 
humans are better at eliminating possibilities than kind of finding what they want. It reminds me of the advice they used to give for taking the SAT. They're like, well, when you read those five response categories, cross out the ones that you know are wrong so that Mm. you have a smaller pool of answers to choose between. And I think to some degree, that is sort of how a lot of people use the apps. They're like, well, I definitely don't want this and they can't be a smoker and they have to like dogs. So mm-hmm. they're, they're very efficient ways for you to narrow down the pool of potential people by just saying, you know, don't show me anyone who has these characteristics. But right. even then, you've still got a universe of people to sort through. And that weird, unpredictable spark of connection is just as weird and unpredictable now as it was 100 years ago. Right. And there is something inherently sexy about unpredictability. Like, I think one of the things that has kept me from using them is just the feeling that it's like ordering a pizza or something. Like, there's like, there is, the mystery is, it's harder to cultivate mystery around a person when you have a lot of information about them in front of you. And you like could go find more, like resisting the urge to just Google them and like get to the bottom of who they are and their whole life, basically. And also, I think that we're all we all seem to think that if we just know all the different things about that person, that will predict how we feel when we're with Hmm. them. But how we feel when we're with another person is often not related to the sorts of things about them that you can know. Their job, their hobbies, where they grew up. When you are with another person and you feel that connection, that's not your brain going, oh, well, we are similar on this and that dimension. We, right. s- we still don't exactly know where that kind of magic comes. We do know that a lot of it comes from mutual liking. That in the studies that have been done of like romantic connection, the thing that makes all of us really interested in other people is finding out that that person is a little bit interested in us and that Mm. they are somewhere within our range of possibility. And so all this stuff about playing hard to get Nobody actually wants someone that's too hard to get. We like to be liked. And mm. one of the, you know, bits of magic that happens between people who end up together is that when they start talking to one another, they like it. They like it at a visceral level. They like talking to you. They like hearing about you. And that yeah. liking translates I think all of us have a very basic sense when we're talking to another person about whether that person is enjoying us and we like to be enjoyed. And so there's a real authenticity to human connection that cannot be faked and cannot be explained away. So you can make your profile as perfectly, you know, uh, you know, calibrated as you can. But when you sit down for a drink with that other person you're going to quickly know whether it's going anywhere because there's a part of that that has to be just experienced in the magic of interpersonal dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Making the profile is like, it's like when you're 
prepping your resume or something for a job interview and it's like, I just need to get in the door. I just know if I can talk to them, they'll like me. But this part is so tedious and like uncomfortable. (laughs) Once you enter the work world and you were working, you know, eight hour days, what are you going to do with your, like, what are you just going to be trolling for people on the street at bars or something? It is hard to, to have the time Mm -hmm. to do all those things that were kind of easy when you were in high school and college. And so for people who have demanding jobs, for people who are divorced, uh, it is the best way to, you know, make some progress on, on meeting someone, but it does take a big chunk of attention in your brain that can be kind of stressful. Yeah. And that's like largely based on physical appearance, Mm -hmm. it seems often. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? Harmon's makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's Hot Cross Buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. The thing that the apps have done is they've cultivated a space where it's safe to be kind of vulnerable. Like just inherently by being on an app, you're saying like, hey, I'm maybe interested in going on dates with people. Whereas in person, that kind of vulnerability or being that forward can often be still really uncomfortable. But by the same token, you know that people are just swiping, swiping, swiping. So you make Mm. yourself vulnerable and then you're also like, here, I've put my whole self out there and somebody just swiped it away. Yeah, that is brutal. That's kind of a painful thing as well. And every time you're swiping away, you're aware of the fact that somebody's probably doing that to you. Yeah. And and we are visual creatures. We do pay attention to physical attractiveness. Okay, Cupid once did an experiment where they shut off all the profile pictures for one day. Uh, they, I don't know how they got approval to do this because they did not notify their users ahead of time. And what happened is people spent more time talking. They mm-hmm. responded to more messages. They were a little bit more open-minded. But then the moment that they turned the pictures back on, all of that ended. So basically what you're saying is the Netflix reality series Love is Blind is science. <laughs> People care about physical appearance. People care. We can't help to care. Humans are a very visual Mm -hmm. species. Dogs smell, humans Mm -hmm. see. And we cannot uh, avoid the influence that that has on our decision making. Yeah. I also think a lot of students feel like, Oh, if I don't stay on the app and check it every day, I'm going to miss the one. Mm. I'm going to miss the one. And that leads to a sort of obsession with checking and rechecking. That is just not good for anybody's brain. 
The truth yeah. is that we are all missing opportunities to fall in love every freaking day, right? No one is ever looking at the entire human planet and saying, oh, I found the right person to me. You know, you are missing opportunities every day. And so don't obsess so much about who you're missing uh, because that is not going to predict who you end up with. And and most of us are capable of forming connections with almost anyone, right? right. You're not looking for the perfect person. You're mm-hmm. looking for a person, a mm-hmm. person that you authentically connect with. And there's actually a million of them out there. And so it's not... It's not a machine learning algorithm. Mm-hmm. Well, and when we talk about apps for connecting with people, like there, there is a pretty wide range, right? Like you've got something like Field, which is just for kinks. And like there's a level of maturity and communication happening there that's different than, you know, maybe on like Bumble or Hinge where people are looking more for a romantic relationship, something long term often something more heteronormative. And like, I'm curious, do we know how successful these like dating apps are? I do not know of much research that has answered that. And there's a very clear reason Mm. why. What is it? The companies that have all the data, uh, you know, they analyze all that internally. They're not going to publish that. They want a competitive Uh. advantage. No one is going to go out there and say, oh, we found out that this is where we're not doing a very good job and this is where we are because then everybody will steal it. So all of Mm. the data is proprietary. And I know because some of these folks are my colleagues, I know people who have left academic positions to go work for like eHarmony or other organizations (gasps) because they've got like data coming out of their ears. But it's not data that you're ever going to see published in any of the academic journals that publish research on close relationships. And so those of us who are in academia are like, our our mouths are watering. I'm like, oh, give us that data. But you have to work for one of those companies to get the data. And so we're not going to find out which app is best because Mm. they're going to hide that from us because they're trying to to keep their company alive. Wow, that is fascinating. But I remember when like a lot of the apps and the websites started becoming more popular, seeing ads on like television back when, you know, I watched cable TV and um, they were all, it was always like some professorial looking person being like, we have the scientific method for finding your match. And so maybe they kind of (laughs) do. Every time I see those things, I just cringe inside. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you don't. Nobody does. And no one will ever give us the the actual data to tell that. A lot of them are based on scientific principles. I mean, the biggest one is similarity. Similarity yeah. does, in fact, predict liking. And so matching on the basis of similarity is a great idea. Right. But that's a pretty big category right? Yeah. Similar on the basis of what? And so different apps talk about, you know, what makes them different. Um, And I'm, you know, I I think the reason that people are on multiple apps at the same time is I think people are seeing firsthand 
wait a second, I'm getting different people over here than I'm getting over there. People mm -hmm. have their own intuitive sense that there are things being captured by one that are not captured by the other, which then mm -hmm. leads to that sense of, well, I better be on all of them in order to, right. you know, find anything. Yeah, such such a, a an American approach to anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's I mean, look, we talk a lot of smack about the apps, but I gotta say, I've been to three weddings this year, and two of them were people that met on dating apps. So, it's it's working a little for some people, and I think that when you see those success stories, it keeps you going back um, to them. And I'm curious, like, okay, it's fall. People want to find someone to cuddle with over winter. This is like a big dating season. For people who are just burned out on the apps, what advice do you have for them? I would say the most important thing is to get to an in-person meeting as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. To not spend two weeks exchanging messages, getting to know each other online that just raises the stakes for the in-person meeting and, and makes it awkward. Just as soon as there's a connection, let's have coffee. Let's go for a walk. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm go let's go to the dog park because you're going to get so much more information from an in-person experience that you should just go right to that. Anything else? Any other advice for dating app burnout? So one benefit of all this burnout is that it is giving you more of a history of your mm -hmm. own process of falling in love. And if you do find that person, you'll be really grateful for that history. Yeah, and you'll have a little scrapbook in your phone. Lisa Diamond, thank you so much for your time and for chatting with me about this. What a joy. All right. Good luck out there. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> One more thing before we go. Look, if your ideal match is a quiet vegetarian who keeps to themselves and can be a rock when things get tough, have you thought about adopting a desert tortoise? The Utah Division of Wildlife Services is currently seeking loving homes for 20 endangered Mojave desert tortoises. If you want more information or to file an adoption application, you can email tortoise at utah.gov. I did Google a picture, and these little dudes are fiercely cute, but it is worth noting that they can live up to 70 years, so if you adopt one, it might be till death do you part. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Hey, if you like this show or even love this show, will you leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts? Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.